This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Scott. I'm Tamahome. And I'm Jenny. And we're going to be talking about The Prestige by Christopher Priest, read by Simon Vance, uh, a Blackstone audiobook, and, and I guess the movie, too, from 2006. Mm-hmm. And um, we are going to be explicit about both of them. As, we're going uh, to curse? Uh, yes. Uh, we're going to not so much curse as be magicians and cast spells. See what I We're did. going to show the prestige before the uh, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, the, I love that about this is he says I'm going to trick you right at the beginning, right? Mm. And then he tricks us all the way through. I I was tricked all the way through, even though I'd seen the movie uh, before I read the book. Yeah, there are different things, you know, a lot, I, of, I, a lot I, of differences between the two. I I think that the movie is a very nice complement to the book, um, and it is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. But, um, can you imagine if they filmed the book the way it was? Uh, it's too big. It's too big. There's too much going on. There's too I mean, well, yeah. I mean, all the stuff at the end, all the bodies. Yeah, I all wonder, the- I wonder if the director, Christopher Nolan, I don't know if he wrote it, but I'm wondering if he just thought that he couldn't get it done. Cause uh, I, I prefer the book. Nolan actually writes with his brother, um, uh-huh. which I don't know if he's a twin, but, um, he writes with his brother, who I've never seen uh, in an How interview or interesting. anything. <laughs> yeah. In fact, maybe I have seen them. They might swap mm. back and forth. Um, but it's it's interesting because his stuff that he does write with his brother um, tends to be pretty good. I mean, uh, the first one I saw that he had done was, um, oh, geez, it's the first one, Memento. Uh-huh which is uh, about a guy who can't remember anything for more than a couple minutes. If you've seen that, it's fantastic. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, and you could argue that once you've seen one movie that tells a story by the grandchild or great-grandchild of someone, once that's happened once, you don't want it to happen again. Like well, People would criticize it and, and say they were using, like, what what's the movie? Oh, The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's a storytelling technique that may work better in the book than it would have on screen. Well, I, I also, I, it didn't come to me until I was watching the movie again. But then I realized that this, uh, you know, the book is epistolary, right? The, that, that is a bunch of letters uh, all put together. Now, I'm not sure 100% that the first part and the last part are epistolary, although they seem to be, you know, the the one with the grandson. He does seem to be talking to himself about what, what, what he's doing. Well, yeah. Well, but the, no, the very end is the, just describing the action as it happens. I right. Think. It's more like a modern book at the beginning and the end. Yeah, a little bit more. It certainly feels that way. But um, the rest of it is very, um, you know, back and forth in, in journals entries. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got this guy, um, Borden at the beginning and that's just a normal, um, narrative. And then it's him that's reading the journal entries. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's reading them, but we're reading them at kind of as well. Right. Right. Um, so what's and then it's, the... at the end, it switches back to just narrative. 
Right. And so what's the, the, um, the most famous book that does that? The yes. most famous book that does that. Yeah, the mm. the la- letters back and forth. Oh, Dracula. Exactly. And mm. that, I think, actually really informs a lot of what happens, not the plot, but what happens, like, the action. So, for example, it, it struck me as soon as I saw the Pikes Peak. He goes to Colorado Springs, right? And then he has to get a ride up the mountain. Mm. And the driver won't take him all the way. And, you know, it's a carriage. It's, it's, it's Dracula's castle. Well, right? that's, that's cool. I hadn't made that connection. It's but. not, it's like, so like, yeah, he goes up there and they're like, the people in the town are all, you know, sort of under the influence of the man on top of the mountain. Yeah. And who's um, the now, man on top of the mountain? He is the man on top of the mountain and he can turn off the village at will, you it's know, with David his, Bowie is at the top of the mountain. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, in in both the movie and the book, Tesla plays this sort of magician of the magician's role, right? He's the he's the the man who can turn I don't know magic into science or science into magic. Yeah, well, it's like Clark's thing, you know. If you if you don't understand it, it's magic. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's sufficiently advanced. So, uh, I'm very, very curious about a lot of things in this. Um, I have extensive notes, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think the genre of this book is? Tam, what, what do you think? I, I was going to say it seems uh, the turns like a gothic. Yeah, very novel. gothic, I think. I mean, I didn't connect it to Dracula, but I mean, it is kind of like Dracula, like, like an old-fashioned horror Scott, do you think it's a... I, I think it's science fiction. Yeah, I, I, I was rereading your review uh, from years ago, and uh, I, I think that's what you were implying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it won a World Fantasy Award, you know, yeah, Best Fantasy is, Novel. and um, But I, I read it, and I was like, you know, I think this is science fiction. Just, that's what I'd call yeah, it. it. I think I, that's what I was thinking when I watched the movie. It's science yeah, fiction. And after... Um, Talking to Jenny, I'd say with a nice twist of Lovecraft at the end of it. Love, yeah, interesting. Well, I see mm-hmm. horror all the way through it. I mean, if you look at what's happening to the people who aren't the magicians, because the magicians are making these decisions that are killing others, particularly in the movie version. Are they? Um, people are, yeah. Who's I mean, the killed? well, the assistant dies. Right uh, in the movie or in the book? Well, in the movie, but then in the book, the the wife has a miscarriage because right. of the other detective, and so there are these awful things happening, and they keep escalating it and escalating it, and at the end, all the bodies and limbs. I mean, to me, that's horror. <laughs> I think I think it's interesting what you just accidentally misspoke. I think you said the other detective. Oh, did I say detective? You Sorry. said detective. I think that's very uh, Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> because it is Freudian. a mystery, isn't it? Yeah. It's a Freudian slip. It's a mystery story. We're, we are detectives trying to figure out what they're trying to figure out, which is trying to figure out each other's tricks. It's, it is, uh, I think that was really interesting slip. Uh, it is. And I think it's because the whole thing feels like it's in the same era as Sherlock and. Sure. You know, you yeah. can picture them walking down the street together. <laughs> yep. Top hats. 
So yeah. horror, horror, I think is, uh, you know, it's, it's got a, especially in the movie with the twist, they, they, the, the movies are quite, is quite different from the book with, uh, with regard to the quote unquote prestige materials. Um, but yeah, you could say it's more horrific maybe in the movie. Uh, but certainly science fiction tech and mystery of, what's going on i guess i mean we do change sides quite a bit in the uh Anjay, um uh borden diaries when we're seeing it from their point of view we're like oh yeah, that, was, that was one of the most you know if we if we stop looking at the fantastical elements for a second the mm -hmm. i thought it was really interesting narrative to have read the borden diary mm -hmm. and then to read the Anjay is that yeah on yeah it's you know it's spelled differently than it's pronounced but mm -hmm. um that other diary <clears throat> because you you start to wonder you know boy this is really over the top and and why do they respond and why do they become mortal enemies in the first place because Borden just did an idiotic thing at the beginning and then um you know Angier I don't think it was it. It wasn't idiotic. We were sympathetic to his his position. Uh, Borden? I, I, no, oh, Borden. I, yeah, Borden goes in there to destroy this other guy's um, magic. Fraud? No, he doesn't. No, he, they're they're not frauds though. This is what they do for a living. Borden knew that. In uh, fact, he was immediately apologetic because he was like, you know what? This is what we all. It. This is what we do. Yeah. Well, that's. But when we, I was very sympathetic to the idea that on. Anjay was was crossing a moral line between. I mean, this is this is what Penn and Teller are always talking about, right? Oh, sure, yeah, and, and I, I can understand. Are, I think I are liars. Yeah. They are people who are fraudulently stealing money from people, right? In the hopes of you know finding contact with the other side, and and it, it's fundamentally it's a fraud. Whereas the prestidigitator, right, mm -hmm. the guy who's up on stage. He might say, "Oh yes, magic, magic, magic," but that there's a, a line there between okay. you know he's an illusionist. Yeah, it's I, under, I understand. Illusion yeah, so as he's to, so I have Anjir at that point was doing seances and claiming that they were real, right? And when they do magic, there's like this understood thing with the audience, which Borden talks about quite a bit at the beginning. Yeah, the pact. Yeah, there's a pact between them and the audience, kind of a suspension of disbelief where. The audience yeah. really doesn't believe that it's magic, but they can't figure out how it's done, and that's their joy of it. They call in the movie. Uh, Michael Caine says it's the pact. I'm, I'll do try and do my Michael Caine. I'm not very good. <laughs> There's the pact. No, that's terrible. That was more like uh, some, <laughs> Simon Vance doing Michael Caine. <laughs> Whatever. There's the pact. There's the turn, and then there's the prestige. Right. At the beginning, right. you make a pact with the audience. Look, I have nothing up my sleeves, right? And you show the object from all sides. There's the turn, right? The the un unexpected thing that happens, and then the prestige, which is the the payoff for it's it's almost like a joke where you show something, you change it, and then you bring it back to where it was. It's why you know often. Uh, sorry. I was going to say, I think the first part is called the pledge. The pledge. I'm sorry, not the pact. You're right. Mm -hmm. The pledge, the turn, the prestige. But the pledge is, you know, come with me on this journey. Um, and everybody's saying, yeah, yeah, I'm buying into it. It's like at the beginning of a joke, you know, you, you say a knock, knock. 
if you buy into it, you say. Who's there? <laughs> and, We're all here. And then you go with the third one. Mm-hmm. That's why the comedians start with, you know, a joke about some issue or some topic. And then at the end of their routine, they come back and they give you that same word or phraseology mm-hmm. that they started with. And everybody claps because they know that the story's over. The, the, the magic act has been completed. Right. Okay, so my my point was that to see it from the second point of view, um, you could understand because oh, of yeah. what happened to his wife and things that that was that was why it escalated so far because you know Borden didn't realize what had what he had actually done or what the result of what he did was and why didn't he realize that we don't realize until later why he didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is because Borden is two men, right? Exactly. Right. I mean that mm-hmm. that the fact that he didn't know that his one like it, it's not one guy getting revenge; it's two guys getting revenge. You ruined our act. Mm-hmm. We'll get you <laughs> today. I'm going to get you tomorrow. He's <clears throat> you. Yeah, and that was one of the joys of listening to this on audio. Oh, yeah. Is uh, you know, when Simon Vance said something like "our" mm. and instead of "I." You were like, uh, I remember the first time I listened to it, I rewound it to see if I heard it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was neat. So well done. Yeah, in reading it, the way that his journal, because that's the first journal you read, and his journal goes back and forth and sometimes he'll delete things and he'll take things back. And you're like, wow, is this guy really indecisive or is he, you know, schizophrenic or what's going on? two minds. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out at first. I mean, I, I, I knew that the punchline about the brothers just from overhearing conversations, mm-hmm. but it's not obvious when you're reading it at all. I don't think. I, I like how in the it's quite different the way it's revealed in the movie. I mean, in the movie we've got this love interest who she says, um, I guess it's a wife of Borden. She says, "Some days you love me, and some days you don't. Some days you're lying when you say you love me." And it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, I love that the movie is so different from the book, even though it uses the same basic characters. Um, the changes are not necessarily like just changes for changes sake. Although there's one like that, that I, I was a bit curious about. Um, they seem to be changes for film sake, right? So that that repeated motif, because there's no journals at all in the movie, right? It's all uh, on screen. That that visualization. Some days you love me, some days you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we we never see the lie on his face. We never get um, her point of view in the book. No, but, um, you know Jenny made an interesting point in an email that you know what did she know? I don't think yeah. we, I don't think we know that in the in the novel. So a lot of stuff uh. you can guess at. I think she just thinks, well, at least the way the movie explained it, I have both in my head. It's hard to separate them out, but mm-hmm. the way the movie explained it, she just thought it was because he was cheating on her. And that, I mean, in her world, that made sense, you know, mm-hmm. that he was just not emotionally, mentally there all the time. But then the assistant had the same experience where mm-hmm. sometimes he'd be hot and sometimes he'd be like, I'm married and punishing her kind of in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I think both of them were hurt a great deal by that inconsistency 
I want to I want to go through those scenes and say which Borden is which. Like right now in this scene, she is standing in front of Borden left or Borden right. You know the the Borden who is the one who loves her because so, in some of those argument scenes, it's very there's a lot of cuts in these scenes and you know overdubs. So sometimes he's arguing with her. I do love you. I do love you. And I'm like, is he is he the one that loves her or is he the one that that you know because he's trying to fix what the other one broke or is he the one that uh really does love her and he and in some of those it's like obvious you know he like this is one of the things they do in movies that i think is really cool is they'll have the honest liar right they have the character who's lying to you the whole time by being honest just not telling you what the pronouns refer to right we he says we we have a marriage <laughs> Who is the we? Is it, you know, mm-hmm. is it us, me and him, or is it me and you and him? Right. And knowing Christian Bale as an actor, mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee you that he intentionally had subtle differences mm-hmm. based on which person was which. I think um, not just the makeup and hair, but like the attitude and the accent changed a little bit. I started to notice at the end um, just slightly. But, so at um, the end of the movie, which fa- which was it the uncle or the oh, well, we don't even know who genetically sired the the child, right? Because right. it probably doesn't make any difference if you're identical twins genetically. It makes no difference. However, does it make a difference to you? Like if you could tell that this was the day of fertilization, right? Would it make a difference to you? That made me like spin my head for a while. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it was clear that one of them was interested in being a husband and a father. Right. And the other one was really not. He was just playing along with it. But they, they both were married to that woman, right? Yeah, so of course. It could have been either of, you know, it could have been whichever day, you know, happened to the fertilization. We don't know which one is which. One of them loved that child more, I think, than the other one. Although the other one loved him, the child as an uncle, right? Sure. Which one at the end of the movie gets away with, has Michael Caine delivered the child? Is it the uncle or the father? The father. What makes you think that? Because I have no idea. Because um, the day that he gets arrested mm-hmm. and they're fighting, I think I think it's supposed to be the same day, the, pers- the person in the wig and everything comes and picks up the girl and takes her away from the fight. Right. I don't know. I got the impression that it was... Okay, now I don't know is, for sure. His name is Fallon. <laughs> Fallon. I thought I knew and now I don't know. I, I, I love that I don't know that. <laughs> I want to know and I can't figure it out. Because I, I, there's also, there's this, this pattern I started looking for. Obviously, it's really obvious. But once I started looking at it, I was noticing it everywhere. And that is not twinning, but doubling. So I think almost everything in this movie is doubled. Not just movie, book, book, book even more so than movie. Everything's doubled. So, for example, we have the journal, right? And then we get Anjay's journal. We have Borden's journal. Then we get Anjay's journal. That's doubled. We have 
um, obviously the the doubles of Borden, but we also have the doubles of Andre. Andre. We have um, the girl, the assistant. I think is she her name Julia, who changes uh, uh, magicians. She switches over, but she's actually a double agent. Remember that where she she says I need he says to Angie says to uh, her you need to go and give him uh, all my secrets and that way you'll get his secrets from me that's the only way he'll trust you but she actually changes sides completely so she's actually a double agent yeah I think that's Olivia if I Olivia. remember right Olivia okay. and Julia is Borden's wife is that right. Uh, it's, no, uh, or and Jay's, <laughs> yeah, I could have that. Yeah, you're right. You, you were saying before the podcast, I wish I had a list of the characters, but yeah, is Julia, Julia is actually Rupert's wife. That could be true. <laughs> the one that he left for, um, the American. There's, Olivia. I think there's three women and some, uh, mm-hmm. but, and there's some more as well, but, it's hard. I I wish I had a paperback so I could go and you know just highlight the, the female names. Plus, they're pretty interchangeable. Yeah, I mean they're not giving us the viewpoint, right? Um, now that doubling thing that that was happening is it it's it happens like in this in scenes where the one is frustrated by the other, but it also happens um, at the beginning or the end at least in the modern era in the in the plot of i guess between the late 19th century early 20th century and and our modern era something happened to our main viewpoint character what's his name the the adopted borden you know who oh, i mean um yeah i know He's, who you mean the 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 yeah, um, he's not. There's no character list, so I'm just going by. Uh, I want to say, is yeah. it Andy? No, I can't remember. Oh, I know. It was Nikki. Nikki, that's right. It was Nicholas Julius something, right? Okay. Does that sound familiar? Here, I, I'll, I'll look at it while you're talking. Okay. Well, Nikki. Nicholas Julius uh, Angier, uh, sorry, Borden, Nicholas Julius Borden was the son of someone and is called to the house uh, at the beginning of the book to discuss some matters of family. But he's called there to discuss matters of family with the daughter of granddaughter of Angier, who is also Lord Calderol. I'm saying his name wrong, I think. Um, but who's the editor of the book, not the book that we're reading, but the book that's in the book, which is a paperback called On the Methods of Magic or something. And that's written by Borden, but edited by Lord Calderoy or however it's pronounced. And that is actually Angier, right? So the, even the book within the book is, has two authors and one of them didn't want it revealed and the other one did. And one's, one is punishing the other 
by having it revealed, but he also doesn't reveal uh, the secret that the guy was twins. It's just pretty interesting. Hmm. So he's getting his revenge, but he's actually not actually doing a revenge, and it's actually more of a tribute. And one gets all the credit, and the other one doesn't get much. But it's 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 all fascinating. So um, going back to this guy who doesn't have a name, <laughs> hmm. the, the guy at the very beginning, his name is Andrew Wesley Borden. Right, Andrew Wesley Borden. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't his ori- original name, right? right. His original his original name was. Uh, Nicholas Julius Borden. Um, but somehow it got changed. And, um, the importance of this comes back to the importance of names. <laughs> I, I sound like I'm rambling, but I'm trying to get to this idea of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Angier Borden, um, there's a, a cutter, Danton, Ellie, Fallon, Franklin. Um, some of these are are the same people. Borden is two people with one name. Anjay is also Danton, right? Mm-hmm. But he's also Lord Colderoy. So it goes, Borden is two people. Anjay is one. A.B. And then Danton... Uh, and I'm not sure how Cutter fits in. But then there's also uh, Nikki and Nikki Borden. I, sound, I totally sound like I'm rambling. Nikki Borden is named after uh, Nikola Tesla. Right? Mm-hmm. And Julius is Julia. So who is the main character really the son of? Is he the son of Borden? And if so, which one? He's yeah. the great grandson. Right. Of I mean, who? Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened when he was three years old. We see that scene very, very strangely from a child's point of view, right? From the woman, the the granddaughter's point of view, she recall, recalls the scene. It's the same thing that the great Danton was using from Tesla, the thing that created copies of himself. Mm-hmm. It was that machine that they brought back to life to great detriment, bringing back that horror element. <laughs> Why? Why did they do that? Because every generation, they try to figure out what exactly happened in their family. Mm-hmm. It's like this repeated pattern that no one has ever solved it completely. So, and that's why he's back at the house again. Yep. Um, and how did he come back to the house? Remember what prompted the visit? This is the fun part I, I got when I was re-listening. Wasn't he, he a journalist or something? Yeah. And he got called to the house for a special thing that turned out to be a red herring. Nobody? <laughs> Remember? It's very important, I think. He got, I know he got invited. He got in, he, he was invited to Count Dracula's castle again, sort of. But no, um, he was in, he was told to go there on assignment for a bi-location event that had happened with a guy named Franklin. Franklin mm-hmm. is in prison in California. Oh, right. That's right. I remember that um, now. Yeah. Franklin is in prison in California, so he could of bilocated there, but he's living in the same house, or his cult is living in the same house as where the machine is made. 
<laughs> so Franklin, I think, might be uh, Borden or Angie. Hmm. And what's he in prison in California for? I don't know, but maybe it's uh, uh, it's 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 fascinating, right? It is fascinating. Right, and yep. at the very end, there's the guy in the coat, right, that disappears into the mist. Mm-hmm. Which Who's I assumed, I assumed that was another wraith of Angier. That's what I thought. Uh, or the same one? Or another one, because one of them may be in jail, if, if that is really connected the way you think that it is. But there are so many of them. I thought it was the, the ghost one united with the dying one. Yeah. So that, who, who said it was Lovecraftian? Me. Well, yeah, Jenny did. Okay, well, what do you mean? Why why is it Lovecraftian? Because that didn't strike me except for one thing. There's something very Lovecraftian about it. Um, going into the crypt with all the wiggling bodies. <laughs> that's that's pretty Lovecraftian to me. Did you did you or were you a participant in our podcast on the Outsider? Because that's no. that's what made me think of uh, when we go into that crypt. The Outsider is a Lovecraft story in which. Um, a man wakes up in a tomb, uh, doesn't know he's a ghoul or a ghost or a zombie, um, but someone had been caring for him since he woke woke up. He's never seen a mirror. He doesn't know that he's a monster. And he escapes into uh, out of his tomb and goes back to his gothic home where people are having a party. And, and they, he says, oh, that looks so wonderful. I want to go in there. He goes in and they are horrified by the monster that just walked through the door. And he doesn't realize what they're horrified until he touches a mirror and realizes that the mirror is actually not the monster. It's him. Right. So it, it was it was in that sense to me, it was a, it was like that. It, it's an explanation for the outsider sort of. How could a dead person be alive in a tomb and living there? Well, that, isn't that what happens at the end? And what what's he doing? What's going on? Right. There's this doubling thing that keeps happening where there's two guys going to one, right? Borden is two men, twins, who who live one life with one name. Whereas Angier is one man who's broken into two. And then tries, and we don't know if he's successful. I'm not sure anyways that he's successful in being brought back into one. His final transport is going to be into the dead body of his broken half or broken third. My my impression is that he failed. What makes you think he failed? Because who not he the guy at the end who's who's there? Who's walking out of the place? Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't a complete success, clearly, because he didn't <laughs> just walk out and say, "Hey, I'm back." Right, right. He's been right, and there's several labels on the shelves in the, and I guess it's a crypt, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a crypt. So it's it. He hasn't just done this trick once. He he's done it a multiple times. In the movie, the way that they justify, I, I I think the movie's twist is pretty amazing, and it makes it super noir, right? Where this guy is killing himself again and again and again and again and again. He says a hundred shows in the movie. He does a hundred shows 
Um, and for each one of them, he murders himself. He drowns himself. That wasn't, you know, just the one time. It's every time. I think that that's pretty amazing because he can't, in the book, he can't kill. And yet we, I thought he was killing in the book. Do, I think if, if the, if the transformation or the transportation takes place properly, um, it transports your body, but it doesn't, it can't duplicate a soul. Or am I reading that wrong? I think I might be reading that wrong. Oh, I'm not sure we know. Yeah, I'm not sure that we know anything about a soul particularly, but didn't wasn't there a description that there was a compartment that sort of a that original version of it fell into? But in the movie, they actually had to kill him, right? Every yeah, single in the movie, time he's drowned. He's the first the first time he does it, he shoots himself. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's the which one shoots? It's the original shoots. Right, right. right. The original shoots, which the is cop. amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. So this guy, you know, agrees to to die every single time he does it. But, yeah, but in, he's, in the he's book, killing himself. Yeah, in yeah. the book, it seems that there is this whatever it is left over that's a body that seems to be rigid and kind of frozen in time or it looks something. Like it hasn't. Yeah, it looks like and it, has, it falls into decayed. a compartment. Right. Um, that's my impression. Yeah. It doesn't need to be. And then they collect them and put them in the crypt and he labels them. But they're not quite dead either because if, if we're reading the, the grand, grandson <clears throat> properly, right? Mm-hmm. right? He's, he's, he's looking for his twin. Well, his twin was his original body that, right. That he finds later. Yeah. Okay, and I, I want to go ahead. Yeah. Oh, well, I just want to go on a side trip a little bit because mm-hmm. this summer I read Infinite Jest, mm-hmm. which has a character that is a wraith, which is what we're talking about at the end here. Mm-hmm. And there's just some things I thought were interesting that I wonder if are true in the prestige too. And one of those is that the character of James Owen Cadenza, he's the character's an infinite jest's father. He's dead. Um, but there's this wraith in the book that turns out to be him. But for him to show up, he has to try really, really, really hard to slow down so that people can see him. Mm. And so you kind of get a similar sense, if not quite the same, where like Nikki, for instance, he isn't always seen and known. It's like he he has to wake up or try or something. So if that's true, I was picturing all these other bodies in the crypt that were just waiting to wake up, like quivering with life and never dying completely. And that really creeped me out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's pretty horrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, they kind of imply that, that the young kid still, uh, is like transmitting his thoughts to the copy, grown up copy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was some kind of an exchange of something when he picked up that wraith or or whatever. Yeah, he he no longer he no longer um felt lonely and he felt whole. Right. Mm-hmm. So imagine the torture of dividing yourself multiple times and never having that wholeness. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about in the book. Remember what happens? He does it the first time, and it's extremely painful, right? Super painful, like 
traumatizingly painful. Like he said, like a hundred hammers hitting you, right? Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Yeah. Every part of you. Um, and then as he does it more and more, it becomes a lot less painful, right? And, uh, he can get so that he, he can even come out with a smile on his face, right? And uh, when he well, first he actually time, became uh, addicted to it, kind of. Right. And then later yeah. on, he's addicted to it. But the first time he comes out, um, on stage, he comes out, he almost does it perfectly. Only way you could not tell it was a little bit hard was that he staggers back a little bit. But he also says after these transportations, he gets really depressed. Like he would become sullen and depressed. And at that time in the book, we don't know why, uh, what the prestige materials are, right? But yeah. I was uh, having watched the movie first. I thought, oh, it's because he's feeling depressed because he's killing himself. Right? <laughs> he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I just murdered somebody. Oh, yeah, I'm not feeling so good. I, I, you know, this is really hitting me hard. But the more you do it, right, mm-hmm. the less it's, it's, it, it, is it a teleportation machine or is it a photocopier? Or is it both? Yeah. In the, in the movie, it was definitely a photocopier. In the yeah, book, it's more, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a teleportation machine, but it it doesn't, you know, like the Star Trek transporter. You know, when you think about it, you're actually mm-hmm. you're destroying the original every time you do it. You remember that story that uh, James Patrick Kelly wrote? Think like a dinosaur. Yeah, think like a dinosaur. You'd uh, transport one, yourself somewhere else, but then the original would have to die. I was thinking that that was an inspiration for this. As well, but I, I, I think don't it's an inspiration for the movie, but I, I don't think it was an inspiration for this one. Well, now, now wait though, because mm-hmm. in the book they didn't even realize it was working yeah, until they no in the book mm-hmm. they didn't realize it was working until he was walking down the side of the road and saw the metal rod that they tried to um, teleport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because they never even thought to look for it because the original rod was still there. Right. So they thought that it was going to be a teleportation device, and I think it ended up being a copy, a copying device. And I don't know if this is in the book, but in the movie, Tesla says, well, that's the thing about science. You know, you never really know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I kind of liked that. I, I think I, I, I like the Tesla way more in the book because in the movie, he's like, he's like, I'm building you this machine, but don't use it. You should throw it away immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit too, like the second time through, I'm like, it's a little too uh, more obvious. He, he seemed more like a real, uh, Tesla in the, in the book. I don't know if that's true, but, um, yeah, I also, it, yeah, it took his, you know, need for money. And that's why he was doing this is because yeah. he needed the, the cash and. I was also like yeah. weirded out. Like I was thinking, why is why is he speaking with an American accent? Tesla is is uh, from Serbia, and so I looked it up. And Tesla apparently spoke like a highly educated man uh, without an act. He says without an accent or precise without an accent, and so he would have spoken, I guess, American like that. In the movie, for some reason, they changed Anjay to an American, whereas Hugh Jackman's Australian. I don't know why they would change that. Yeah, I don't know either. Hmm. I mean, they should have just kept them both English, as far as I can yeah. see. Yeah, and Simon because Vance. Simon Vance adopted a Eng- or a American accent for. Mm-hmm. We've got the guy who comes out of the tomb, right? Mm-hmm. 
We've got the uh, Franklin character, the guy in prison in Australia. Oh, no, not Australia. California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Guy in prison in California. Um, there's a theme here. This is uh, Jesus. Okay, so the uh, what, what I mean is Jesus comes back to life. He's resurrected, right? Mm-hmm. Franklin uh, probably has a duplicate. Um, the guy who showed up in the house, uh, you know, that the, the cult is denying, you know, happened. Um, maybe cause he never left the house or something because uh, I don't know, but, uh, you say, well, that's not enough. Um, we need more. <laughs> so, um, uh, I put it this way in my note to myself late last night, a bilocating religious fanatic, AKA Franklin, AKA Jesus, AKA Oh, no, not okay. The tomb and the resurrection. But also, um, the first place that Anger goes to practice his mentalist act is, um, with Julia, I think is, is the character's name, is, um, a pub called the Lamb and Child. Hmm. I thought it could have been named anything. Why did he name it the Lamb and Child? I think it's, it's, it's supposed to echo uh, you know, the sort of the miracle aspect of, you know, he's a dead and then, oh wait, look, there he is walking down the street, healing people. Hmm. It's, it's a very, uh, Christ. What's the name of the cult? It's like the church of Christ, uh, uh, Jesus or something like that. Right. And it's even a double, the church of Christ, Jesus. I'm not sure what to say about that. (laughs) There's something there, I think. Um, There's a lot of sort of these little hints. Another one, you know, the house, the history of the house, the, I want to say, Colder Roll. I think that's not right. Lord, Lord, whoever, who's really Ange, Mm -hmm. or at least Ange's family. um, He, uh, he, they talk about the history of the house. And after, um, Anjay's family sort of went bonkers, I guess, at the beginning of the 20th century, um, it was used for a number of things. Now it's being used by the family, just one little wing and this cult. But during World War II, do you remember what it was used for? Nobody? No? Okay. Did the army use the house or something? Yeah, Mm -hmm. the Air Force used it. RAF used it. But not Bomber Command, not Fighter Command, Transport Command. It's like, this guy is really smart. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love Christopher Priest. He's really, really smart. He Are is. Trans- you know, I've, I've definitely got to look some more of his stuff up. Love that stuff. Yeah. That's so- yeah, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Uh, by the way, Angier, um, the name is doesn't really mean anything as far as I can see, but it sounds like when you see it on the page, it, it looks like anger and Ange has great anger mm-hmm. when his wife is, uh, forced to lose their child. Yeah, true. I don't know. That's how the French get angry. <laughs> <laughs> they get Angier. Angier and Angier. You made me very Angier. <laughs> he got <laughs> Angier and Angier and Angier. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> so that that's a that's about it for the majority of my notes. 
Can we talk a little bit more about the ending? Yeah. Okay. Because I reread the last three or four pages this morning, and it occurred to me that I don't think what's the name of the Borden that the great grandson Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicholas Julius. I'm trying to. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure. And Andrew, he changed his name though, right? Because he he's not really a Borden anymore. Okay. Well, that guy. Yeah. I just I'm I'm not sure that he actually gets it. I think that we as the reader understand that the child he's holding is him. Mm-hmm. But I I don't think that he understands it. Um, he you doesn't know, Kate, know it's a twin. No, he I, it's a twin. No, he thinks it's his brother. His Kate, twin brother. Kate, right? Kate calls it, calls him his brother. He refers to it that way, and then the book ends, and you're like, wait, wait. After all these generations, you still don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I mean, he think gets it either. Because right, he says that um, he doesn't feel that twin tugging at him anymore. But he, uh, I don't but know that he realized. Sure he- I'm not sure not a cares. Yeah, because he, 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 we get this a couple of times where he, he's, you know, I don't care about the Borden family. I don't care about them. All I care about is my, my twin. I want to know about my twin. I'll read this book because it'll tell me about what happened to my twin. But mm-hmm. because that's what he's looking for, that's all he sees. Yeah, but that's not the truth exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's yeah. he gonna do? Is I was thinking, is he gonna go into the machine and try and make both of them go through or? I don't know. It's not I don't really, really going through, what right? What, what? What's? Uh, no, the the movie that sort of precedes the the um the movie version of the Prestige that's similar is The Fly. And I guess The Fly was also a, there was a previous movie. But have you guys seen the Cronenberg movie called The Fly? No. Yeah, yep. yeah, I've seen it. I saw I saw it in the theater. Yeah, it's 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 it's. it's it's probably the most horrific movie I've ever seen in a movie theater. It's really, really? horrible. <laughs> I was really scary when I was no a kid. I, okay. I was scared out of my mind. I was like, oh my God, he's <laughs> turning into a fly. Well, the <laughs> explicit material there. Now, <laughs> it's pretty graphic. <laughs> now, uh, what, what, what's interesting there is when he's put into the machine with the fly, Right. It's a, it's a transporter, basically, like a Star Trek transporter. Um, but it destroys what it, what it makes at the, what it, what it transports in the process of transporting it in the same way that I guess a Star Trek transporter does. Although they don't say it's destroying, they say it's, it's just transferring the information digitally. Really, it is, it's, cause I guess they can make copies in the transporters or whatever, but, hmm. In the fly, it destroys what's in the machine and reconstructs it on the other end, right? Um, so it's much more like the movie version of the transporter, uh, the trans, the new transportate, new transported, new transported man. man, yeah. Right. The new transported man is more like that, except it doesn't kill you in the movie. You have to kill yourself, which is more like the James Patrick Kelly story. Right. So it really is a new transported man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love that the, there's the transported man and the new, new transported man, but he doesn't call it that. He calls it the, in a flash, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that, um, 
Uh, that's a doubling and then a denying of the doubling as well. It's so weird. <laughs> He's really stuck on that doubling. Doubling thing. and the denial <laughs> of the doubling. Everything's doubled. There's yeah. a double agent, right? Yeah. I I think this is great. <laughs> and by location, that's that's you're being in two places at once. Okay, so I also want to go back to talking about the women. Oh, by the way, the lamb and the child; those are the same thing. The lamb is the child, right? I'm sorry. You can continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, the women in this novel are so pointless and flat. It's kind of sad. I, I think the reason that it bothered me so much is because another uh, magician book I've read recently is The Night Circus. Have you guys read this book? No, no. But I remember reading your review of it, I think. Yeah, The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. It's about this circus that is uh, falling apart. It's like a magical circus that shows up without warning. But it's the central story are these two magicians who are dueling. And one is a woman and one is a man. And I just kept thinking, like, why why couldn't some of the main characters in this been women? It just seemed it yes. seemed more traditional. Like, I almost feel like the author is from a different era. Yeah, it feels like lost, right? I felt, you know, the the way that this novel was structured, I think that everybody that's not one of these two guys is kind of wooden. Because it's like, you know, the entire thing is internal to just these two guys, really. Right, they're just convenient characters. Not just the women, but everyone surrounding them. Everyone surrounding them, yeah. That's Mm -hmm. that's how I felt. There was a woman in the modern part. Yeah, uh, she's... uh, a character, a character, and she's kind of enigmatic. I, I, I don't know what to make of her. She's yeah. a storytelling device. Yeah, it would be interesting. It would be interesting to read um, Borden's wife's journal. <laughs> Just because, oh, I mean, that would be kind of cool to to read. But yeah. you know, all we're seeing it is what Borden thinks of her anyway. For the female, if the females right. more more to say in the movie, but it's still a it's a guy show really. And I mean, the, the Michael Caine role is way pumped up from the book. That character is barely there, and the Fallon role is way pumped up. The engineers' roles, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think the book's got like 30, 30 characters or so. It's 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 got a lot of sort of you know. I don't know. Not- you know I, I look at that, and there's really there's really two characters. That's what I'm saying is there's yeah. the, the the reason women get the short shrift is because everybody gets a short shrift except for these two and a half guys. Yeah, but you know what? I was thinking about it. I mean, I was starting out just kind of being catty about it on purpose, but you don't think of women as being magicians. I mean, where in literature are women magicians? Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about it, and except for the last five years where you have the character and now you see the movie, which was pretty great. And then in the night circus, but other than that, I can think of women that have magical powers, but not like stage performance type magician characters. Yeah. And I wonder why we associate that so much with uh, a male role. That's a good question. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why Luke doesn't go into magic. I mean, you know, the fact that he has a twin <laughs> is insane, but um, he, he does. Yeah, <laughs> an identical twin. 
that is nothing like him. He says he's hey. the people twin. <laughs> but uh, he could do he, he transport he does shows. He he works with women, not men. Um, and it, it, here's the thing: if you've got a guy on stage, you know, wearing the tuxedo, right? Is he the assistant? And I think magic is probably like the place where you. That'd be really cool to see the guy on stage uh, being the assistant to a woman magician. But would she wear the top hat? Right? It'd be a very weird... Like, I've never seen a female magician in real life. Have you guys ever seen one? No, that's what I'm saying. And I can't figure out why that is. I don't know. Just a a Zatanna in DC Comics. Yeah, just... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can't think of one. The women on stage, even in this book, have to have superb performance ability, like fitting into the tiny, tiny spaces so that they can do the illusions and holding their breath underwater. I mean, you know, all of these things. Yeah, it'd, be co- it'd be cool to write a book about um, the a female magician who, like Jesse said, is acting as the assistant all the time, but she's really running everything. Wouldn't that be Talk great? Talk about misdirection, yeah. I kind of was hoping that that's where we were going to go with the great granddaughter of Angier. Mm-hmm. I thought that they, that was kind of a missed opportunity that he would have found out that she knew a lot more or something like that. You know, in the end, it seemed like she knew as much as he did. And I wanted her to have more secrets and maybe she does. And we just didn't find them out. I think she's very enigmatic. I mean, she, she is playing a game with, with this guy. She's kind of manipulating the thing. But it also seems like she's kind of the way she, she she's being described as, you know, she doesn't leave the house. It's almost like she's got a twin out there in the world um, and she's the one hiding at home. Like in the book is I, I, I don't know if I'm under the right impression, but I was under the impression in the book that Angier doubled himself sent one to go live as Lord Colderoy or however you pronounce his name. And the other one was the magician. And then later on, we don't see that. We just see the, the two, uh, the one dying of cancer and the, the ghost. But by the way, that's all invisible man. That part of the book. That's, that's right. The guy who, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, he's, he's a wraith. But he's also he's literally invisible. I think they even there's even a shout out to the invisible man in there, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a uh, a wink towards the invisible man in there. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I mean she is an enigmatic figure. She, her motivation for calling this guy to come now. What is she? She thinks she knows what's going on, right? Or at least she is pretty sure she knows what's going on. And now I want to know, what does she know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a, lot, there's a lot going on here that we don't know. I mean, as we talk about it more. Yeah. Hey, have you guys seen Now You See Me? No, I haven't. Yes, yeah. it's so there great. Was, and that's why. Yeah, there was a female in there and she, she did not seem out of place at all. But as I sit here and think about it, I can't think of a female magician. Does she wear a top hat and pull a rabbit out of it? Uh, no, but she's every bit as part of a, this group as everyone else is. Okay. You know, another thing that that movie has in common with something that happened on the Prestige movie 
is remember on Now You See Me when they got invited using um, tarot, tarot cards? cards? Yeah. And then there's this one little tiny scene in The Prestige where he lifts up his glass. There's two. There's two of those there scenes. Two? Yeah. And there's a card, a card at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, king of spades and then a king of diamonds, I think. So is that a thing that magicians use cards to send notes to each other? <laughs> well, oh, the line, the line, I think he says, uh, uh, I didn't know I'd find answers at the bottom of, of a cup or, or it was a bottle of, or a pint of beer. You can't find answers at the bottom of a pint of beer. I mean, if it, it's a, a, a pun anyways, or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I'm always wondering, like, why diamonds? Does that mean he, he's rich now? Because in the book, that, uh, in the book, that was immediately was like, oh, you can make money. Right. And he says he mostly does it with gold. I was thinking, you know, there's probably a, a way to do it with bills a little better, but the go- duplicating gold, that means he's picking the pockets of the, of the prestige material too. Otherwise he's not actually duplicating it, is he? And he has to go into those pockets and pull out the, the doubled gold. Right. Um, but it, how, I mean, in the movie, uh, it's interesting because th- those guys are actually assholes because they're not sharing this great technology that allows us to not have, to, we could travel around the world. We could travel to other planets using this tech. Now, there is the, uh, the problem, you know, James Patrick Kelly problem. Uh, that you have to kill the the original, but well, and it would be your copy that did it, right? So they'd be having all the fun. Yeah, I mean, is see, it's weird because he kills himself, but we don't think that's wrong until we see, you know, it in the movie. <laughs> we say it's okay to kill yourself because you are. You're uh, still that, there. Yeah, that's why everybody should read that James Patrick Kelly story, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about is, is if you are, use a technology to transport yourself to another planet. Um, and you know, once you're on another planet, do you have a duty to kill yourself at the, uh, the front end? I think not. I remember but, another story. It's not, not quite analogous, but, um, Robert J. Sawyer, it's called identity theft mm-hmm. where, um, he pays a bunch of money. The main character pays a bunch of money to copy himself, his consciousness into a robot so that he can live mm-hmm. forever. But the problem is that the original still survives. It's a yeah. copy and they take these originals and kind of put them in a nursing home or something right. and just kind of give them a decent life till they die. But that's not enough for this guy. He decides he wants to live too. Yeah. Well, it's 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 the problem that's totally avoided by uh, John Scalzi's uh, the Forever. What? No, not the Forever. Oh, War, old man's war. Old man's, old man's war. war. Right. Yeah. So they he hand waves his way to transferring the uh, the soul. You just keep transporting enough information into the body of this clone you've got of yourself, green clone, and eventually you're you're in there, but. Uh, that's really, there's no, <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, what I think is interesting is that in the book, there is no, we don't know what happens to the, what, why are they not animated and do they not decay? It sounds like they don't rot. Yeah, it sounds like they don't. Right? In fact, their, their eyes are open alive. and they're, yeah, they're, 
Their eyes are open yeah, and they're kind but of their stiff. bodies are frozen in the position, right? It's like mm-hmm. even a dead body will, you know, change position after a certain amount of time. I felt like in the book the soul was transported. Yeah, but then it's what's like a second echo? body was left over. But what's with the echo then? That and 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 also think about the um the way it worked in the case of of the incomplete transport where one third of the guy is is over here and two thirds is over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's because it was incomplete. And then and then you you notice also when they come back together or get closer together, the cancers stop. For a while, the cancer. Yeah, remember the the guy Angier is divided into two, and he starts getting sick, and the doctors can't tell what's wrong with him. They say, "Oh, your blood's thin. That's it." And he weighs himself, and he's one third lighter. And then he starts getting cancers, and and then uh, I, I'm I think I'm getting this right. So that's why they're keeping all the copies instead of just discarding them. They're there's a health reason there. Is that what you're saying? I don't know. But what I do know is that in the case of the incomplete transfer, we get two minds. But one of them, it's uh, it's kind of like that episode of Star Trek where Kirk gets transported in two, right? Um, and one's the evil Kirk and one's the good Kirk. But the good Kirk needs the evil Kirk because he can't make decisions. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. evil Kirk, is he's just like an id. He just goes around raping people. <laughs> yeah, he's the sexy Kirk. <laughs> he's not sexy. He's the rapey Kirk. <laughs> the rapey Kirk. <laughs> the regular Kirk is, or not the regular Kirk, the, the, the wimpy Kirk. Uh, he can't be a commander without his, his rapey side, I guess, or whatever. I don't know. Right. It's kind of gross, but, um, <laughs> the, in the, in the, the, in that one, they recombine those two guys in the same way that sort of happens in, maybe happens in the final journal entry he's going to say he's going to do, except he's going to go into a dead body. So it's, it's very strange. I think, I think there's something about like they can't be separated, right? Mm-hmm. And when they are separated, something bad happens, but, Maybe only in an incomplete transfer. So maybe the I don't I don't understand how it all works. Yeah, yeah the complete yeah. transfer seemed to work well for the the result guy. Yeah, for Angier's. Yeah, doesn't he doesn't he say in there that um, you know how he acts like he's hurt, and but it is an act, right? I mean, he he actually oh, yeah, was yeah. he feeling detrimental effects. Maybe I mentally think the beginning he was. he was, but then after afterwards, I think he started to feel good about it. Yeah. In the uh, another doubling, by the way, in the movie, uh, uh, Borden gets shot in the hand, and they the that oh, means yeah. both of them have to have their hands cut, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to match, and then the wife says, uh, "Oh, you're bleeding again. I don't understand why it's bleeding again." <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then, and then the, um, later on, Borden, uh, removes the bed or pillows or whatever that are underneath the trap door and Angier breaks his leg, right? Mm-hmm. And then that, that, that shows up also in the book in a slightly different way. Um, I think, I think it does, doesn't it? There, there's a, there's a hand injury on one of the guys from the, See, at the beginning, they they grow up in a seaside town, 
the Bordens grew up in a seaside town. But all of that is lies, right? The Bordens? The, the, why why the is it Borden lies? I, I don't recall the, that, but go the ahead. Borden twins, when we get their early history, uh-huh. there's no mention of a twin. It's just I worked for my father right. at a making a Cooper and uh, wheelwrights, right? They made okay. wheels mm-hmm. for carts. And he at one point but, he gets really good with wood. And that was and then, a lie? But why what do you say that was it's a all lie? A, it's all a lie because there's no mention of the brother. Oh, okay. But the the fact that he lived and got good at woodworking isn't a lie, right? What well, No, because that's how he got introduced to magic. Right, right. Well, that's what he says, but he has an injury on his hand, right? He gets, uh, he's making a wheel and one day he. Yeah, he makes cut his hand. Mistake. He said that that he was. Cuts his hand. He had to stop practicing magic for a while. And that's, that's what right. made him decide to do it full time because he didn't want to injure himself again. Yeah, that's what made him yeah. stop the woodworking, right? Right. Yeah. So I think, I mean, but you're not saying all that was a lie, are you? I, we know that some of it's a lie. So how do we know what isn't a lie, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. We don't. It, it seems to me like up to a certain point, we. We would say, you know, like it's it's probably not wholly a lie, but we know that the book's been edited by one of the Bordens, right? Right. One of the Mies is going on there and deleting stuff. So we really have no idea. Exactly, but it's a great story. But he gets a cut. He gets a cut on his hand in the so we have to assume that both of them have that cut on their yeah. Hand, so right? I mean, when when they when he got the cut on his hand when he had that injury. Is that when they decided to start living as one person? I mean, I wonder when that moment was. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and there's that whole side story of the magician in the beginning, the Chinese man. Yeah. And they use that as an example. And I think you're supposed to, like, apply that to the rest of the story. That's right. Where he spent his entire life acting like he was crippled because he needed to act that way on stage to fit the fishbowl underneath his robe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and that that was really well done in the movie but also I mean it is it's one of the few things that's completely unchanged from the book to the movie I think. Everything else is, you know, been tweaked or completely um changed but that little metaphor or I guess it's a a theme, I don't know, mm-hmm. is the same all the way through in both Yeah. Both. And there's this interesting part in the book where uh, Borden sees Angier and sees how ragged and worn out he mm-hmm. looks like. And he's worried about him. And you don't realize until later that fake. that was part of the act, too. He was needed a, him to worry about him. It was a fake, but it's at some point it's also true because he's dying. And the way the, 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 the book works is we don't know when things are exactly happening some of the time. So like, that's true. Uh, the, there's a, there's a part where we think, uh, oh, this is the time where what's his name screwing him up. Well, actually, that's a different time. Um, you know, the, they're interfering with each other's acts, you know, that, oh, that's a different one. And then which Borden is doing that is also, you know, I think one of the Bordens doesn't write in the journal as much. <laughs> you know, it seems like it's, or at least maybe deletes a lot. One of them, one of the, it's not an equal partnership. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was interesting, you know, in Angier's um, 
NGA's uh, journal, he would say something like, you know, he knew that Borden was going to go tour Europe, but for some reason he wasn't going to do his new transported man thing mm-hmm. the entire time while he was there, which meant that there was, we knew that there was I'm another with person. My girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. And then um, he started to get hounded by uh, Borden while Borden was in Europe. You know, really interesting. Yeah. It's. I thought it, I mean it was just so well done narratively. Yeah. I mean it was it's just fantastic. Well, see, this is this is the unusual thing, right? This is a relatively modern book that is going to be and remain a classic. I I can't see it aging badly. Yeah, me neither. When I'm making tons of notes and I'm not sure about any of them, <laughs> that's a good sign. Yeah, right? I'm like, it's not. It's not that I. It's not that I can't understand what's going on. It's because it's it. What, how did um, Simon Vance put it? He said it's like it's it's porous or it's open. Um, it's hard, right? It makes you do a little bit of the uh, activity. It doesn't describe everything for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I felt like great. I understood it better before we started talking about it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> all I have is questions. Yeah, no, I don't know anything. <laughs> I want to reread it again, um, which is very strange for me. I don't like rereading things. Um, I thought I remembered the movie well, too, but um, I, th- I thought the book was going to be spoiled by the... By the oh, I said the bad word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought the book would have been damaged... Oops, sorry bumping into things i thought the book was not i i thought i was going to understand the book because i had seen the movie first but Mm. going back and seeing the movie again um i didn't understand the movie that well the first time i watched i think it's it's one of the movies where you can go back and watch it from the beginning and see oh it's much more obvious but i don't think that's going to be true in the book it's not much more obvious in the book but Tam, you hadn't seen you you and Jenny both hadn't seen the movie first, right? Well, I, I saw it in the theater, but I guess I was tired that day and I fell asleep in the middle. <laughs> well, so I got pretty confused help. when I woke up. Um, but this time I, I just saw it like before the podcast, and it felt like they took the book and they edited it and moved pieces around, and then made a more dramatic movie out of it. Yeah, I think it's it's a pretty great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like the book. Um, yeah, me too. I, I like I prefer the book, but you oh, know, yeah. having seen the movie, uh, the images from the movie were in the book. You know, I had those two actors were uh, in my mind the whole time reading the book. This time, yeah. Hmm. Uh, and the, there's some really beautiful moments in the movie too, like the the field, the hillside of uh, light bulbs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, it's beautiful. But that's the thing is is. He is almost like a magician, right? The, the, uh, there's another Lovecraft connection there. Um, the guy, Tesla, everybody who, you know, reads a lot about Tesla, they think this guy's the coolest, most interesting man ever. He's just, he is like a wizard because he's doing things that seem to be like futuristic in a time when he's just a brilliant genius, sort of weirdo, uh, discovery guy like a wizard kind of and he's got this great nemesis hey again a doubling right mm-hmm. who what do they do they sabotage each other at least one of them's 
usually people people who like Tesla think one of them's evil, right? Edison's the evil guy. And they have these sort of back and forth competition, AC or DC, AC, DC, right? <laughs> Alternating current or direct current. And what happens? Well, really, Edison is wrong. Direct current is not good for cities, but we do use it in our cars. But uh, alternating current wins, but not with um, the backing of uh, Tesla. It's the backing of Edison, finally, that makes alternating current win. And in that, you know, at the time, I don't know how familiar you guys are, but in the movie, it's a little bit shown there that uh, Tesla is being sabotaged by Edison's men. And that's true. Edison went around the country sabotaging uh, t- Tesla's demonstrations and undercutting them, saying, look, here's what alternating current does. And he electrifies an elephant and kills an elephant, kills all sorts of animals all around North America and Europe hmm. in order I'd to read- show that alternating current is no good. Well, I'd read that novel. <laughs> it's not a novel. It's a true story. <laughs> I'd, I'd read it. <laughs> it's, on, it's, it's like there are two magicians competing. Exactly. A doubling again. Yeah, but, that's fascinating. Yeah, I knew just a little bit about that. Um, but um, also, very interestingly, in the Lovecraftian sort of bent, there is a story by Lovecraft called Nyarlathotep. I think that's the pronunciation. Um, which is about a Tesla-like character who goes around, um, I want to say North America, but it's not really. It's kind of weird, sort of end times apocalyptic North America, um, doing a essentially a Tesla show where he shows, just like in the movie, you see this, you know, Tesla coil and sparks everywhere. Um, but this guy is, is possibly a elder god. And um, when you see the show... You start marching out of the. It, 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 there's like rumors of war, war and rumors of war, and people start marching out of the theater and into three columns, and one is plague, and you know it's like it's very um, interestingly, you know, this is the end time sort of thing via technology, but really it's Elder God, maybe who knows? <laughs> it's a very mm-hmm. strange story, very interesting. Um, but Tesla was very influential and it's, this is like a, this is like Dracula, Edison, Tesla, um, I don't know, Gothic horror, science fiction, fantasy. Hmm. <laughs> <With that. laughs> wow. And noir and yeah. detective. <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to explore some more of his books. I'm just oh, yeah, looking I'm here. It says, uh. Good. He's won the BSFA award four times for best novel, um, for Inverted World, The Extremes, The Separation, and The Islanders. Um, that was in 2011. Yeah, The Islanders is the one I have on my list to read. Oh, cool. Really like to. It says he's won the James Tate Black Memorial Prize for Fiction. And I don't know what's involved there. And then he won the World Fantasy Award for The Prestige. Uh, he's got a long career. Started in 1970 for novels, mm-hmm. and he's just put out a new one in June. Cool. That's right. it says here that uh, uh, he was married to someone named Lee Kennedy until 2011, with whom he had twins. 
<laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that means he's a twin. <laughs> no, he, he has a machine in his basement that his great grandfather <laughs> left to him. That's funny. My dad's a so, twin. So, My dad's a he? fraternal twin. Uh, well, fraternals a little more reasonable. Yeah, a little more reasonable. <laughs> it's a little more reasonable to be a fraternal twin than a identical twin. Uh, when I was in high school, I I was friends with uh, twins, but I was more friends with one of the twins than the other one. But we were still friends, and we we actually played role playing games, and uh, one would be the dungeon master, and one would be the, uh, the another player. Hmm. I don't think it was. I, I, we didn't play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, but we did play uh, role playing games, and. Um, they're they're different. Twins are different. They're not yeah. different in appearance. They're just mm-hmm. different in yeah. interests. Sure. And one is friendlier or less friendly. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an interesting uh, thing in the Wikipedia entry for Christopher Priest. It mm-hmm. says, a film of his novel, The Prestige, was released on 20 October 2006. It was directed by Christopher Nolan, starred Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. Despite differences between the novel and screenplay, Nolan was repeatedly so concerned with a denome that he kept a surprise that to well, he, was, he was so concerned that it be kept a surprise that he blocked plans for a lucrative U.S. tie-in edition of the book. Which is funny because I was mentioning to Jenny on Twitter that the cover of that book was horrible. But I wonder, really if that's, I wonder if that's why it was so horrible. I wonder if that had something to do with it. Didn't want to give anything away. No, that the, something, you know, they weren't going to publish it, and then they were, and then they weren't, and then eventually they said, I'll oh, just get it out there, and maybe they didn't have time to do anything different other than just print. Shiny black cover. <laughs> yeah. One of the covers, the one on the Wikipedia entry for it, I think, um, has a magician looking into a mirror. Um, I guess that's the 2005 edition or something. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing a top hat in the mirror and he's not in the visual. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of a, it, it's, it's hard to know what, I, I'm not sure it, it can be damaged by knowing more about what's going on in it. Mm-hmm. Actually, Christopher Pre says the, uh, it wasn't really a big mystery about Borden. Like he, he thought the re- it was obvious to the reader through most of the book that Borden had a twin. And uh, in the movie, they they changed it so that it was a big reveal at the end. It's very well edited in movie. You can you can. It's a lot of moving time around, and you know mm-hmm. this is being told in retrospect, and this shows a little bit more. I mean, what's funny is a lot of the important scenes are shown right at the beginning. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the actors performing, you see the guy walking up on stage, you don't know who any of them are yet, but showing the stuff up front is just, it's its like, you know, pulling up the sleeves and saying, look, I got nothing up my sleeves, and this is what you're going to see, and then, bam, out of nowhere comes a little rubber ball or a top hat. Mm. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to reading another one of these. Which, any, any, I think uh, Simon Vance was saying that there was um, uh, more read by him. He's re- he just read another one by Priest. Oh, good. I'll definitely yeah. listen to that. I think that'd be good. And yeah, yeah. 
That's great. Actually, Christopher Priest has a book called The Magic where he writes about the film and what he thinks about it. Oh, cool. There's a, by the way, there's some really good reviews on um, the Wikipedia entry. I, I was reading them earlier. Um, so the first one uh, from 1996, so that's a contemporary of, of the book's release. The book seems to have been re-released a few times um, before the movie and after the movie and uh, the audiobook, of course, and then the original release. So here's from David Langford's 1996 review. It seems entirely logical that Christopher Priest's latest novel should center on a stage magic, a stage magic and magicians. The particular brand of misdirection that lies at the heart of the theatrical conjuring is also a favorite of Priest's literary, oh, is a favorite Priest literary ploy. The art of not so much fooling the audience as encouraging them to fool themselves. The final section is strange indeed, more gothic than SF in flavor, heavy with metaphorical power. There are revelations and more is implied about the per- peculiar nature of the Angier Tesla, Tesla effects payoff or quote-unquote prestige, a term used in the sense by both musician, uh, magicians. The trick is done before and after. Priest has rolled up his sleeves, his hands are empty, and he fixes you with an honest look. And yet, you realize it is necessary to read The Prestige again. It's an extraordinary performance, the best book in years, perhaps his best ever. Highly recommended. Hmm. Um, by the way, um, at the beginning of the book, I noticed again, um, <laughs> he says um, he, he wanted he wanted to be prestigious. <laughs> um, there's a line where he says, he says um, he's looking for a prestige, a more prestigious career or something like that. And it's like, uh-huh. Yeah. I see what you did there. <laughs> and a lot of these, you know, the words get like just that, that duplication is so funny. I guess he wants to be a dead body then. <laughs> I guess he does. And he does. Uh, he, do, he, he doesn't want to be a dead body. He wants to be many dead bodies. Good stuff. It is great. Good no, this wasn't too. This wasn't too creepy for Jenny towards the end? No. Okay. No, it's all right. I mean, I definitely had a reaction to it. but. <laughs> and honestly, I just didn't see that ending coming in the book. I expected to have the great reveal be about the twin thing. You know, because that's all I'd heard about the movie. And so all of a sudden it went down into this cavern with all these bodies. I just, you know, that surprised me and I like being surprised. Very, very gothic. It, it, it reminded me a bit of Frankenstein too, you know, the, the machines and such. Um, not that it's done super electrically that way, but it's, it's, very, it's very much in the gothic tradition, I think. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.